Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Shut the Funk Up podcast. I am the well-fed boy, and as always, I am delighted to be joined by... Jay Lit the Kid, what it do? What's going on, everybody? Episode 119 for ya. Yes, we've been away for a while. We will address it. Um, it's my fault. Uh, it's okay, though. Uh, we, we, we will get into it. We got a lot to go over because, you know, we, we, we missed, we missed a good amount of time. And, uh, for that reason and that reason only, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, to do the quickest, uh, jumping in headfirst into this, uh, we, uh, episode, if you're okay with that, but do it, do it, do it. Okay. So let's jump right into it and let's get right into the janitor's closet and, uh, Jordan talked to me about Danzig. Um, this, I, I don't know if I, um, it was a weird one. So I don't know if I accurately describe to me or to you, shall I say what Danzig was for me. Um, but you know, this like, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, Jay lit the kid was a skate rat. Yes. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He he frolicked and spent his, his. We don't talk about that enough here. I, I feel like we don't talk about that side, that past of you. No, no. I'm a man of uh, many talents and and, yeah. and a, a man of mystery. If you know, if I wouldn't even say, say skate right. You were you were about that life. I was about that life. Like late, like when I first met you, like in college, like even that later it wasn't even like how most people were into that. Like in high school, early on, you were still. Yeah, I was still about that life. But Danzig represents a time in life where I was one of the younger kids at the skate park. And What's the name of the skate park? Oof. I mean, you just had the... Um, there was Mer Merritt Island skate park there was the one oh man i can't even remember it was just it msp was, it was mostly just like the cities that they were in so satellite beach skate park uh Merritt island skate park the original uh reason i even got into skating was i was in uh, a roller hockey league the league shut down and they turned that rink into a skate park and i turned in my blades and said i will take uh one of those skateboards please that's how it started that's how it started i didn't know that oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, you said yeah. I'm about this role life. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and my my dad and uh, mo yeah, mostly my dad. He would like take me there, drop me off, and like just come pick me up four hours later. Do you remember the first board you got? Who was bought? Who the company? Oh, man, um, mine was world. Mine was Alien, and then I got World Industries after that. Love that. Um, I can't tell you one of. I can tell you the first board that I was like. So ecstatic to get, you built. but but that the, I didn't want to even want to like use it. But <laughs> then it was like you know we got to get into it, and that was uh, the Chad Muska um, wow. silhouette Great. of him sitting with the boombox, and then the name Muska down the actual board. But Danzig brings me back to that time in my life, and um, you know. The song Mother, which is, I think, probably is, is their biggest song. Yeah. Um, and I went and kind of did a little bit more deep diving on it and, you know, uh, was reading up about like the first album and what you were talking about with Rick Rubin. And it was super interesting because the song came out 
like you said, I think in 88 or 89, uh, when the album dropped and have you ever seen the original music video? No. As soon as we're done here, you need to watch it. Okay. okay. It is as, uh, cause it was like prominently displayed on, I don't know if you remember MTV's headbanger. I can hear right now Chris Bellis at Lazewell just chastising me right now. I can hear him. And I think he's also doing that in one side of his mouth and then praising me just slightly yeah. on the other side. Yeah. But it was prominently displayed on a headbanger's ball. With Matt Pinfield. It, oof. Okay, you just got a little point back. <laughs> you just got a point back. Thank you. And, but the video is just, uh, it's as simplistic as it gets. But the cool thing was is apparently the song was big and then um, they... I think re-released in like 1993 a live performance and made that like another music video for the song. And that's when it got huge. Gotcha. Um, but it was just, it was cool to just, that first album's actually very good. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to kind of see what um, the lead singers, because his voice is so... It to me, I guess it's metal, but it's more like rock in a sense. To me, there are certainly elements like when they go into the solos yeah. that it's kind of that metal speed metal vibe. Mm -hmm. But the like the the his his the people that gave him inspiration for his sound were like Elvis and Roy Orbison and these people, and you can hear that totally Absolutely. in the in in his voice. And then when you watch the original music video and you see the way his mouth is moving as he's singing, I'm telling you, it's something that it was just, uh, it was really cool to watch. Cool. Um, and you know what, honestly, I I had this kind of revelation. I'm, I'm at work and I'm listening to the album front to back, the first album, and Honestly, that album could have came out last year and you and I would never I would I would have not been the wiser. Nice. It to me totally translates time and space of when that album came out. That could have come out in the last 5-10 years and I wouldn't even have thought differently of it. Nice. And to me that even someone's sound but also a complete album um just speaks volumes of of how great that album and sound is because i've always said when you don't know what decade an album came out in yeah good point me meaning that it could have come out yesterday or it could have been you know the 60s or whatever you know i i just i love that i love that about them and i'm going to like i'm not a, a metal guy right Right. I will totally dig further into Danzig and listen more to Danzig now that I went back and like kind of read a little bit more about that original album and just everything um, after that. Because I know he is looked at as kind of like a legend in the game. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it was it was great. And if uh, like I, I was I was listening to Danzig all week. That's, all that's why we do it all i love week. that i love that yeah so for me it was great um and if you guys don't know i mean that song mother to me I, to me it's a perfect rock song yes it's a perfect rock song front to back and then i think the video will make you it will it will transform you uh back to a time and place 
and it will make you very nostalgic. I think of just like our very young formative years. Yes. Okay. Cool. So, cool. Cool. So cool. yeah, uh, get Danzig into your uh, repertoire because the, it certainly deserves a place, um, you know, in your catalog. Uh, great Janice Closet. Thank you. Good, great Janice. Yeah. Usually, you know that I'm. Um, I vibed hard on it when I have a lot to say, but this one kind of struck differently just because of the time frame that it took me back to. And then my appreciation of music now, learning more about, you know, those early times of that type of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Very, very good. Um, so to, uh, get back to why we, you know, we're off for a little bit there. Um, and my, it was my fault. I was the one, um, the first one, actually, uh, I want to interject here. Yeah. The first week, uh, last week when we, when we had to put it off, you. you didn't tell me why, No. but when I saw later that exact night, what you were doing, I did not even bat an eye or have any ill will because of also the magic that occurred. Um, so I will let you say that, but I, 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 there are very few reasons why a cancellation will be immediately erased from the book in, in my book. And that was one where I said, all is fair and love and messy. Yes. So it's messy mania down here. Yes. And I have reaped the benefits. Uh, <laughs> they uh, he, he played his third match last night, but the first two I went uh, to uh, the first. You know, first one was great. Uh, you know, legendary goal when he got subbed in. But last week he started and um, shout out to Chris Cody. Called me day of, and he had uh, tickets to to the match. Messi was starting, and they were box. Uh, they were the sweet tickets on, on right there on the pitch. Um, and he, uh, I, I, I have to just do a quick run through because we got the treatment. We, like I said, we were on the suite, and I got the ESPN treatment. I was there with Mike Ryan, Pablo, Chris Cody. You know, the who's who's were all down there. The spread in the box was absolutely incredible. Your boy, he's named, he's the well-fed boy for a reason. He absolutely chomped down on everything in there. I was just charcuterie it up. I was slidering it up. I was chicken tendy Benny. And um, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but uh, we were right there on, uh, on the pitch and we were, we were right before the match started. We were a little concerned because we were all the way at the end where the corner kicks happened, and we were like, "Shit, we're kind of like you know in a bad you know uh, uh, vision of the field." And we quickly found out after the coin toss that the first half of the game that the pinks, the inner Miami, the flamingos. They were gonna be, they were gonna be coming down to our end of the field and shooting on our end of the field, and I had epic shots to all of Messi's to his two goals. He had two goals and two assists that game. That game, the first goal that he that he that he scored again, it was right in front of me, and I had the phone out. 
I thought I I hit record and and he's celebrating right in front of us in in like right next to the the uh, corner kick and he's right there. I can lean out and like high five him. I'm I'm like ecstatic. I look up, forgot to press record. Mm. So like, God damn it, Alex, missed it, right? Missed it. But then again, messy magic. He scores again. Then I get my video. Now, we, dude, the boy went viral. Mm-hmm. My first time going viral. Did you? Did. Because that was, uh yeah. So, the, uh, I, I, I posted my, my video. Mm-hmm. And the next day after, I wake up and the phone's dinging. And I'm like, what's going on? And, and my Instagram notifications... Uh, they just ding. They don't show any notifications. They just ding. Yeah. And I got so many dings going on. I go, what is going on? I gained 300 followers from that video. And when I tell you 300 followers, I, I was like, holy crap. I, I'm, I'm at like 1,100 followers now. I, I'm clicking on the people that are following me. And I'm thinking they're bots. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm clicking on them. It's Muhammad in Egypt. It's it's uh it's Enrique out in Portugal. It's the it's 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 uh you know it's Esposito in Dubai with a family of four. Love it. Public. You know what I mean? Your boy went viral. Mm. Gaining three hundred. Love that for but you. But the best part, ready for this? Mm-hmm. At at half, I go take a piss. And we're down in the bowels, like we're in sweet life, and it's not like you know big stadium. So like, you're kind of you know where the suites are. You're kind of, you're next to the locker room. You're in, you're right there. Now let me just interrupt very momentarily. Is who you're about to rub elbows with? Is it going to top yes. the Braves Marlins uh, home game of when we went to uh, when you took me to when we also were in a suite which you got from work. And as we were leaving the suite to leave, um, we casually walked next to Derek Jeter, his wife and child for 20 seconds. It doesn't top that because thankfully that you were there and you you always do this and normally everyone hates it, but you did your like half drunken thing of opening your mouth and saying something to him and he engaged and Derek Jeter engaged us back and it was amazing. In my defense, I uh, because I hate the people that are like. First off, he's with his wife and kid, so you were cordial. I was very cordial, and um, it wasn't. Hey, let's take a photo. Let's do any of that. I just said, "Hey, Derek, how you doing?" Yeah, that's it. So it wasn't on that level, but I go to take a piss, and I come out of the men's bathroom, and who do I see? I come out of the men's bathroom, and front and center. David Beckham mm. is right there talking to some associate, whoever it is. First time I got starstruck. I first time I, I walked out and I didn't know what to do with my. I was like, "Uh, where am I?" Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, let's just time out real quick. That definitely tops Derek Jeter. But um, I didn't say nothing to him. That's fine. You physically saw him in the flesh. Right there. Right there. Neck tats. Neck tats. Neck tats, uh. dude. Where's Posh Spice? I don't know. He's there, though. And I'm just like, holy shit. Is he as beautiful as we all think he is? Dude. I mean, he's got the rough beard. Still looks great. Anyone uh. that can, can pull off the rough beard? Mm-hmm. 
But it was just so it was just an amazing night. Messy magic down here. It's incredible. This city in, is alive in a way. Uh, it's never been pinker. Um, there's just complete, you know, I, I don't even know how many different murals of him already. This guy's so nasty. It's not even it's not even about him being so nasty. It's about how bad the MLS is. Well, He's that, playing a month. Yeah. It, it's it's a uh, it's it's Steven Strausberg when he was at San Diego State and Tony Gwen was still alive and he was his coach at San Diego State and Steven Strausberg is pitching against like JUCO people like from like University of California San Diego. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. He's just so much better. But even that, I mean, again, last night another two goals. Yeah. It's just it's beautiful to see. Um, and the greatest player in that sport in the world is in our backyard. Uh, so then fast forward to this week. The reason why we're a little late on this week was uh, congratulations, uh, newborn Benny. <laughs> Benny popped out the kid. We're hoping to get him on next week to do the full dive yep. to get into it. But we want to give him a quick congratulations Mazel tov. on that. So uh, that was the reason why we were uh, we were a little late. I had to go I had to go see the the youngin, um, but also a couple other things I wanted to touch on was uh, I saw Sebastian Maniscalco uh, yes. after mm-hmm. the last episode, best c- comic I've ever seen. Laughed for um, an hour and fifteen minutes straight. Incredible! You told me that stop. you were in a way, and I can say to all the listeners out there, you all remember a moment where you were laughing so uncontrollably that you were embarrassed yep. with yourself after. I thought people, the people around, the people in front of me were going to turn around at one point and be like, "Dude, dude." But was everyone else in the in the audience kind of on your? On your level, yes. Well, the vibe was all was high all around. Yes. So then it wasn't like uh, you weren't like really worried about that because that's what we're all here. I couldn't for. leave the seat uh, in the middle of it. I had to go take a piss. Like, okay, I'm not going. Yeah, I'm not going. Amazing. Um, last two things I want to get to uh, really quickly. I want to give a um, our condolences to the Lebertard family. Yep. Um, uh, we are. This podcast is uniquely and uh, personally close with the Lebertard Show. We know we know those members. A lot of those listeners have crossed over to us. We love you guys for it. But we want to uh, give our condolences to Dan and the Lebertard family. Uh, his brother passed away. Uh, they battled. Uh, uh, he was battling. I believe it was uh, skin cancer for a while now. Um, and, uh, Dave, uh, finally passed away, but he in his own right is a huge Miami local artist and, you know, celebrity and personality in his own right. For all the shit that we talk about South Florida, there are certain things that make, you know, this area, this city, a one of one, the culture, the people, the music. I mean, the whole world comes to our backyard to vacation um, and to have fun. Um, you cannot go, and, and everyone thinks, you know, kind of South Beach is what all of Miami is. You can't go around this city without 
personally witnessing a piece of Lebo art. He's in the Miami arena, the, the Gasea Center. He's on cruise ships. Cruise ships. He's, he's on one of the bridges going over. Uh, he's, on, he's, he's on a... He's an he iconic. A, he's a, he's a, he is an entire mural. Welcome to, I think, Miami Beach is what it says. Yes. As you go over one of the small bridges to get on to the island. Um, yes. And, you know, this... And his style is distinctly and uniquely a Miami and South Beach style. Um, you know, it was, it was really tough, you know, just hearing Dan talk about, you know, losing, you know, we both have younger siblings ourselves. Right. And just, um, you know, I was definitely tearing up in the car, just kind of listening to him go through that stuff. And, and like you said, even, even although we are, we do have close ties to the show, you know, even without that, you know, we've both been listening to, to this guy for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, you know, just like so many of the other fans of the show, we think we know them. And, and to us, they're someone that are in our ears or in our head. And we're listening to them. I mean, I listen to the Levitard show two, three, four days a week. Yeah. And um, it was super sad to hear. And hopefully, um, you know, they'll work through all that stuff but um yeah our, certainly our, certainly sad to, to hear about and our prayers uh, and yeah and and well wishes go out to them and the family um so and then the last thing i wanted to touch on before um i hand it over to you is because this one kind of got me this was m my really big in my childhood and uh was uh, Pee Wee herman uh, paul rubens passed away uh, this, really? this last week as well. Yeah. Did you hear? Oh no, no, no. I oh. heard, I heard, and it went into one of my group chats and I, it's, um, I am intrigued to hear that that is your, I viewpoint. was a huge peewee's playhouse fan. I watched it every Saturday. Not only did I watch it every Saturday, uh, my father, I, he he would record every single one on VHSs, so we would go back and listen to, and watch them. And even Chris Cody, who we were just talking about, who's a fan of the show, Chris Cody was a huge Pee Wee uh, Pee Wee fan, and he actually because he was always he always had the cool toys, man, growing up, and he actually had the full life size build out of Pee Wee's Playhouse. And it was amazing. It was so much fun to go over and play with it. And even I, I even talked to my mother this week, and she was even telling me like stories about how, you know, we were so obsessed, me and Chris, with Pee Wee's Playhouse and that toy, that Playhouse that Chris had. And it was so big and so large and so many pieces that. Erlene, Chris's mother, Greg's uh, wife, and my mom, they hated that toy because there was <laughs> we would play with it and leave all the shit everywhere, but we were obsessed with it. And um, I even I had the doll with the string in the back of it. I texted my mom. I said, do you still have it? She goes, we definitely still have that doll. Wait, that, do that doll needs to be here. So I already talked to her this week, and I said, I'm going to come grab that doll because it's a beautiful vintage vintage doll where, you know, because I don't know if you guys, if the youngins out there remember, I know, Jordan, you do, but there were these the, you know, these old dolls where there was a string in the back and you'd pull the string and it would, 
it would have a it would have a little saying from the doll, and every time you pull the string, it would say another saying. And I so I'm gonna go grab that doll, and I'm gonna put it up here in uh, in the wax museum because is I it, think is it that one? Uh, with yeah, with yep, with the string in the back. Is it with with he's got the suit on? I'm just looking at what the price is on eBay. If if uh, oh yeah, what is it? Well, I'm seeing anywhere from. 120 to 200, 250. I'm seeing here in the box. Well, so. I remember mine. I remember like grabbing it like years ago back and pulling on the string, and the string works and it retracts back in, but the microphone in the doll was uh, scratchy, so you could, you had to like really had to put your ear up to it to hear it. So it's not like brand new, but yeah, I'm gonna grab it. I'm gonna throw it up. Here in in the um, I'll put Pee Wee up here in, in the wax museum to kind of creep us out a little bit. Uh, huge Pee Wee fan, man. I loved loved him. Don't care about any of the stuff that Paul Rubin got into. Honestly, if you look back on it now, he actually didn't really do anything wrong in my opinion. But I mean, look, he jerked it in the theater. Whatever. He jerked it in the theater that where it was a jerk theater. Now I um, and I don't want to. S- be the the cold-hearted uh killer over here but i when someone had threw uh that he had passed in the group chat my response was quote i'm filing this in the quote don't really care category of quote celebs right yeah I, and, I, I, and i would i think a majority of people would kind of on my side yeah, yeah. i i gave a shrug uh okay and that was it. Don't you think it's apropos though for me to be young and into Pee-wee's like into that though? I, I, what I'm even shit? more um, looking forward to, and, and I need you to follow up on this with the fam at HQ. Does the does your dad still have those tapes? Yes. Oh yeah. We I we we I remember we watched it like a few years back. Yeah, we still had. I'm telling you, my dad. I'm I curious made, why he kept them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I made him record every. We we record every because we want. Yeah, we record every single one. But that that that's what my dad does. Even now with like Tug, my uh, my sisters, my niece on my sister's side, uh, he records all the Popeye stuff. Love yeah. that. Yeah, we just love that. So yeah, rest in peace, Paul Rubens, man. Fucking Pee Wee was huge in my childhood, man. dude. Yeah. Um. All right. Clear the paint. Yeah, it's uh, it's time for a very rare Jaylet the kid was loud wrong, and I know. Um, in my defense, in my defense, when we were talking about the the Father's Day debacle of you not wishing me Happy Father's I Day, still which taking the L, which we wor- which we worked through, and I will be receiving. Uh, I have a lifetime contract for a Have a Nice Day. Mm-hmm. On on that day moving forward. Only you. Just me. Um, and there was a little bit of uh from from uh you know one of our number one fans, Steve Arduini, uh, who had brought it to the attention that he had who who also happened to have a child uh, about four months before we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the clan. He's in the newborn clan. He's in the newborn clan, and he had wished me a happy Father's Day. Yes, and I did not respond. Yes, and I denied ever receiving, and even sent him some screenshots of his and I's interactions via text. And then, and I 
dug myself into a little bit of a deeper hole for which he then turned around and said, you need to look at the group chat of you, me and Alex. Right. And I even then said, no, I did a Benson <laughs> double down and I Proud sent, of you, bud. and I sent him a screenshot of him actually saying it. Yes. And so Jaylet the kid was loud wrong. Uh, Steve did wish me a happy Father's Day, and I want to say to him, uh, happy Father's Day, belated, and that I will uh, try to make up for it next year. Now, are you going to full, are you going to happy Father's Day forward, or do you want to do an over-the-mic agreement with him of have a good day, like we did? No, I'm not going to... Um, Pull an Alex Benson here, and um, I'd like I, you to. I would. would I, like you to. I will. I think anyone that has around the time, I think any of our friends that have a kid uh, and had a child around the time that I did, I like you know, Pipes, Benny, Steve. I think they will probably all get a happy Father's Day from me. Just. On the yearly, uh, on a yearly basis. Okay. I might miss one or two, but mm -hmm. um, the goal is to, I think, to try to because I'm a good friend. The 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 the, the crux of the situation is is the first one. The first one is I missed the, it. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Sierra missed it, mm -hmm. and um, that's on me. Hand up. Yep. And uh, Jay, the kid was loud wrong. Steve, you were right, and I apologize to Cat and to Nora, um, but most of all to you. Good shit. Thank you. Good shit. Thank you. Um, now, Jordan, what did you learn this week, bud? You said you had a good one. Anytime. Not that you don't ever. Uh, I, look, we could always, there's always a power rankings, right? Of good, bad, the ugly, and all the in-betweens. Um, but I know anytime that I can go baseball adjacent, that that always moves your monkey mm -hmm. a little bit. And what I learned this week is about the uh what i learned this week is captain dynamite and the exploding coffin of death nope ever nothing, heard nothing of over here nothing now do you remember uh he was an espn radio um host he's done some other stuff uh the show was called marty and mcgee uh, I know that show. Ryan, Ryan McGee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he and he's like a Charlottesville, kind of like Carolina's boy. Um, Rednecky, NASCAR-y, yes. college football guy, yeah. And so he wrote this article, and um, the guy's name, the government name is Patrick Albert O'Brien. Did he get the axe with all the other ESPN people? McGee? No, I think he's still there. Okay. I think he's still there. Um, probably not for long, but you know how that goes. Uh, and Captain Dynamite and the exploding exploding coffin of death was, uh, and he's going back to when he worked. It was like his first job out of college, and he's working at a minor league team up in I think Asheville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And his his job, one of his responsibilities for that specific game, was to be like kind of in the dugout at the ready for the. I don't know if it was maybe like during the seventh inning stretch or what it was, but they had a very uh, quick 
little show with Captain Dynamite. And Captain Dynamite would set up his coffin of death in the infield <laughs> and he would blow himself up. Okay. So he would set up and and he and 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 Ryan McGee would made it sound just like you think it would where it was a family uh, a family event where him and his family would come. It would be a very rudimentary coffin that they built. Typically they would get a couple hundred bucks and he would put dynamite in it. Uh, like in a styrofoam coffin and the whole the whole uh, stadium would count down from 10 and on one wow. he would hit the detonator and blow himself up wow. in this coffin wow and it said that uh, he and he did this for like 35 years wow and so in the mid 80s he had already been doing it for that length and period of time right and um, and so as the story goes in the article that I was reading, you know, uh, it blew up and there's this big cloud of smoke and they go up to him and kind of shake him awake because he would routinely get knocked out, <laughs> like be unconscious that, that and they would kind of, out. kind of shake him awake. And then <laughs> it was his job to, um, get a concussed every home game to then go clean up all the debris that had literally blown up. That's on, right. At yeah. this minor league stadium. I mean, and they said you could feel, like the concussive, um, just like, you know, blow. a blow of the explosion all throughout the stadium. Right. And um, it was it was interesting, too, because, you know, he was like indicted by the FBI at one point, too, for like properly, um, you know, storing the dynamite and improperly? stuff like that. Yeah. Improperly okay, yeah. storing the dynamite, like at his house, he would just like have the dynamite, like laying around <laughs> yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. But it was super funny. In the garage next to the fucking yeah. you know, Ritz crackers. Y yes. And so it was really funny though, because, um, you know, and I think in this article, he was like in his like seventies still doing it. And so it was just, uh, really funny just to, you know, because we would never see the evil Knievel of minor league baseball, if you the, will. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so it was just—it was really funny, just the shenanigans that took place. And I know, you know, even from the book that you had gotten me um, on um, uh, uh, the Braves owner, um, Ted, Ted Turner, Ted Turner, and all the kind of shenanigans he would try. Yeah. And so this just falls into that, like. Before things really got like locked down and 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 and, and really safe, before OSHA got involved. Yeah, before OSHA got involved in the mid '80s, um, Captain Dynamite and his exploding coffin of death was just regaling fans in the Carolina League of of uh, minor league baseball for over 30 years. Gotcha. I got two videos to watch after this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's one. There's one. We can watch it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what I learned this week, Alex. What did you learn this week? I learned this week that the United States is about that toilet paper life. 70% of the world does not use toilet paper. Like as a choice or because like it's just like it can't get there. They don't use it as a choice. Most of the world um, are bidetting it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I look, I looked into it more and like most of Europe and all of Asia are bidetting 
their toilets are built they have bidets and then they are they have fans that are drying them out as well toilet fans toilet fans wow with heat heaters and stuff in them and if they don't have that like your uh you know your your indian people not the native americans they're they're using washcloths that they're you know washcloths that they're cleaning after and using United States and North America are the only ones that are really about this charming life. Mm. We are the only ones that are, uh, you know, really using all the, 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 the most amount of toilet paper. And I just want to uh, reiterate the fact that uh, I, I'm part of the 70% because I'm bidetting over here. You, uh, well, no, you're part of the. Oh, you're part of the contingency that that is pro Squirt McGirt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, no one, no one, no, and no one's no one. They they don't use. They don't. They're not doing it. Mm. They're not doing it. That's one of those things, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, just I, and it's no wonder why this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And and it always blows my mind when you just like think about. One item that is like a one-time use only. Mm-hmm. So like the diapers. The amount of diapers that just my baby is using. Yeah. Let alone all the babies in America. And then all the other babies, you know, everywhere else. Or the plastic bags just at Publix. Right. You know, or the toilet paper. And it's just like, when you start going down that path, you're just like, you get depressed because you're just like, Jesus. Like, we use so much of stuff that we don't have to probably. Well, that was the other part of the, the articles I was reading was we're getting, we're approaching a point with the toilet paper that it's obviously terrible for the environment and something might have to be done about it. Mm. So yeah, we'll go there. Okay. Um, I, you know, we've been talking these last couple weeks about some different stuff I've been seeing. We, we know we got mango man, mango gate, uh, which, by the way, a little update on Mango Man. Haven't seen him. I've been relishing the I knew opportunity. He I've been relishing the opportunity to confront this man. I knew man, he was a listener. And he has not shown his ugly mango stealing mug in the neighborhood. I think Ben scared him off. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know what rock or, or mango tree he's hiding under currently. But I'm just saying that this issue is unresolved. And um, so, and this case will stay open until I can confront you. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I'm happy that it's actually we're we're here now because I'm worried about the confrontation that you may or may not get into with them. Well, let's. So get I'm in, happy that it hasn't gotten there. Well, let's get into and so the next confrontation, as you know, was uh, was unlocked car gate. Across the street, yes, where I had to scare off a uh, a, a no a no good doer, yes, um, who apparently didn't get away with anything. But you know, I've been on very high alert in the mornings now mm-hmm. when I come out of the door, and I have to add, and and this is just the next level up of something that I've witnessed. And let's just start here. Um, I know that you know, being down here in South Florida, we see a lot of these videos on Only in Dade. But I'm curious, have you ever been a part of on either side in a road rage incident? Um, the victim or the aggressor? 
road rage like pull over road rage or like hey guy rolls down the window and we have our words and we keep it moving either one because i had that this week there's levels to the road rage and i witnessed a legitimate road rage incident to the point where i wasn't comfortable because the car was moving at certain points for me to try to um to try to intervene in any way well very quickly i think i've said on this podcast before uh the only the the, the main one is the road rage incident with with benny road rage benny mm-hmm. uh with when we were going down to the heat game and the guy uh cut uh ben was driving cut us off and ben stopped in the middle of the highway did i, I did i ever tell you that story mm, no I was thinking about the um, the uh, 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 the the uh, the powder on the butt, uh, but that's different. That uh, wasn't road rage. This one, and I'll sh- and I'll shoot through it very quickly. But Ben was driving. I had gotten tickets for a Miami Heat game uh, about three or four years ago, and I was in the car with him, and uh, we're driving down to Miami, and a car cuts Ben off. We're in. Tr- you know, traffic on 95 and uh, Ben's it it lights him up. So Ben immediately goes into the other lane and cuts then that guy off. And then, so that guy pulls uh, that, then that guy does what Ben does and pulls up in front of us and cuts us off again and immediately hits the brakes to where we're in the middle lane and he goes full stop full stop and he gets out of the car the guy pop gets out of the car and uh ben at this point ben's like oh shit you know what are we doing i'm in the passenger seat going go 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 I'm scared. Go, go, go. Guy gets out of the car. His passenger gets out of the car. They pop the trunk. Okay. So I'm like, at that point, I'm like, go, go, go now, Ben. What the hell See, are you doing? The, ind- the individual, I'm not saying you guys should have definitely, like, you know, given him the mitts on 95. One, you know, but We're stopped. There's just cars just flying by. The fact that there is a, a passenger and then... The trunk pops. That's, I think, when you say, gotta go. Get out of here. So Ben, like, Ben goes by, and then the rest of the way down the arena, he yells at me for being a pussy. But Mm. keep going. So what happened? So um, right at the corner where Home Depot and Sunrise is, that gas station, Cumberland Farms, right there on the corner. Yep, kind of big. I'm I'm pulling, I'm going south, and there's a car leaving. uh, And I did not see the initial incident that caused this. But you would think being at... A gas station that it wasn't like some type of large moving violation, right? Because I I don't know what occurred there. So I wasn't privy to that information. So the truck uh, or like the SUV is uh, coming out and this like four door sedan like whips around him and kind of and the guy's trying to make a right to get on the road and the guy's kind of like blocking his way. You could tell the windows are down and they're both chir- going on. They're chirping at each other in a way, body language wise, that you know. How many cars back are you? I am. Th- this is happening directly in front of me, and in Time a way, of day. Uh, five p.m. Okay. 
5.15 p.m. This I is on the way you, home. I would love to say like 6.30 a.m. No, no. And so I'm there and they're kind of nudged out in the turn lane so I can't actually continue to go. And I'm like waiting to see what happens here. And so they're chirping at each other. The guy who is trying to, I feel like, get away or defuse the situation, like pulls out. And this guy, other guy, gets in the lane next to him and kind of does the same thing of trying to like, he can't get in front of him, but he's trying to nudge in between him and the car that's in front of him to really block his path. Mm -hmm. So they get up to the light and they're still chirping and I'm behind them and the light's green now. So I even lay on the horn and I'm like, yo, let's fucking move this shit along. And so I get all the way. Once we all we all turn right and now we're going west on sunrise and I get in the left lane because in a couple lights, I'm going to make a, a left so I can, you know, go through the hood and all that. And the guy, the SUV or whatever makes a right. And this guy is speeding up, pulling in front of him and just hitting the brakes trying to not let this guy continue such a south florida story Keep yes going. and eventually we start getting up to and now there's an accident in the eastbound lanes and there's a cop there and i'm waiting on sunrise that's the police stations right there yeah and i'm waiting to see well that's broward but there's the, oh yeah, yeah but me, yeah but there is one right there or there's a cop there at least and this is all going on kind of like to the right side of me and i'm watching and eventually we start getting into a little bit of traffic and the guy, the aggressor, gets on, kind of like hops the curb of, of on the side of the right lane, pulls up next to this guy, and I'm like, oh, shit, like, it's about to fucking go now down. Yeah. And the guy, like, kind of, I don't know if he puts it in park or what, but he starts um, beating on the guy's um, side mirror, and he fucking rips it off. Damn. Rips it off and then basically speeds off. And this is like the cops are like 50 feet away. Okay. And at that point, the the, the light started to change. So Did I'm you like. Ben Vigilante? So Ben is kind of running through my head right now. Observe like what am, I, what am I supposed to do here? But <laughs> the guy was so incensed that I did not want to have to get into it. Absolutely not. Exactly for the same reason that Benny is now lamenting for having to be a star witness mm -hmm. in his follow-behind case. Mm -hmm. But to end the story, the guy rips the mirror off, does whatever, pulls off and like drives off like half on the sidewalk, like mm -hmm. half on the road, and like skirts, skirts around a building. And as I drive by... He is waiting. He is laying in wait for this car At this to come point, by again. He's probably already said, pull over, bud. Yeah. So it was one of those where I was like, and I witnessed almost the entire thing. And it was it was just wild to see in, in the wild. Now, let me ask you, in all honesty, let's let let me let's let me because you'll you you're not the type of person to engage in this type of road rage to where you're going to get into a confrontation and pull over and blah 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 but let me paint the picture of someone road rages with you you're like fuck you and then the guy rips off of your mirror go 
What do you? What does Jordan? A little bit of a different do? situation. I have a very nice company vehicle. Uh, first off, there is a camera in my vehicle, so most likely that would have been on camera, and Homeboy would definitely uh, be fucked. Be fucked for sure. Let's say it's not the company vehicle. Um. You know, that's the thing. Maybe a year ago, I might have said something different. Um, but, you know, got the kid. It's South Florida. It's basically the fucking Wild West with, with, with uh, you know, carrying guns and shit. Now, you're letting the mirror being ripped off. Yeah. I'm fucking probably just calling the cops. Now and, I'm, ask, and I'm getting a license plate. Now, ask me what I'm doing. Alex, what are you doing? The exact same thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do regret... Now this the cop, I'm not about that life no more. I'm not that guy no more. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I don't even have a kid. I'm not that guy no more. Hey, rip the thing off. I won't even maybe if I can get the picture of your thing and insurance. I'm not that guy no more. I was trying to get the guy's license guy no plate, but I couldn't get that. And then I regret the the cop that was dealing with the accident was like dealing with some shit. So that was the other assessment I was trying to make all at the same time of like I should have stopped the car and been like, yo. That fucking guy is being a real piece of shit I right say, now. No. But I felt like I was going to get dragged into it even yeah. further. And I said, you know what? I say no. And I do regret that, though. I said, oh, really? I should have I at least been like, yo, there's some shit going on over there. If these people are safe and everyone's okay, you should go deal with I that. I like to think the Acura behind you did it. The Ultima two, two back from you did that. This guy was so enraged, he did not care because there was 20 cars around us while he was doing all this. That's I like a, to think he was so careless, he got arrested. That's a classic South Florida situation. And like that's what... like. Down here, these people will literally put all things aside and, and go to jail over that. Yeah, and yeah. that was the thing is I wasn't uh, going to get in the mix and get in the middle of it just for that exact reason because I ain't dealing with that. Yeah, I got enough on the plate. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I was having a, a Ben. Ben was tugging at me on one side in my head, doing the right thing. But then also the this is South Florida you know, the gunshine state. And um, I probably don't want to like get into this because this guy is like on one. We're on, on one. we're on sunrise. We're on sunrise. And anyone that knows what we're just saying. Sunrise. Yeah. Um, UFOs are real. <laughs> what is going on and why aren't we talking more about this? I, I think it's... I think it's more of just like like when I when I saw it I was like yeah duh. And also not, too like don't come out and say like UFOs are real and like go in front of the Senate and, and congressional hearings cuz you know the guy did that and he like skirted around like I hated like when like the one person asked him like did you find aliens and he was like we found non alien biological be just say what you found did you did you did you find some green non guys non-human biologics i think is yes that's a yes though but but like if you're not gonna go like dude we found little greg then now i'm intrigued but if you're gonna keep skirting around we're back to square one at least for me so if you guys didn't see or you live in a cardboard box with like a you know a tinfoil hat um, there was a guy who was a former naval officer, top uh, secret security clearance, I believe, who was in front of a congressional hearing and basically was like, um, aliens exist. We have recovered 
remains of those aliens. We have recovered crafts. There's an entire division of the government that is meant to go out and clean that type of shit up. And not only that, but people have been harmed from these agencies in an effort to cover um, the release of this information up. Yes. That to me, and I think everyone has essentially their own opinion of whether aliens exist and then the bigger question of are we alone much before this guy went to the Senate hearing, which is why I think that people are not making this out to be bigger than it is because it's like, well, he's not name dropping nobody. It's like, Oh, you were taught you, you know, people that were in like, you know, the government in Roswell name drop the people. And also, like, let's like we 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 need more, like, because what you're doing is just YouTube stuff. Well, I think maybe part of it was self-preservation of like, you know, I know what these fucking people did, and I ain't trying to like name names because if I do that and I go past the point of no return, I might just get disappeared. That's what I took it as. Like, people have been harmed, and I think he even said people have lost their lives for this type of stuff. And I'm not, you know, he, he's the he's he's me in the truck, not trying to pull over and let and let the and <laughs> yes. let the cops know what's up because yes. he ain't about that life no more. He is. But to me, it was kind of a seminal moment of like history of being like, yeah, some people have kind of come out and said it, but it's never been more officially official on the record. Senate committee. um, and someone of rational acclaim confirming these things to us. Yeah. So I, I, to me, it was. Well, and the big thing too was when he did that, you know, Biden and no other like, you know, big, uh, uh, you know, in other countries, prime ministers, whoever, uh, none of that, they all kept their mouth shut. So that to me was also like, yeah, see, this is real. See, these guys are keeping their mouth shut. Like they're not going to, you know, this guy's whistleblown and they're, they're still trying to like, you know, keep it quiet. Well, there's like two routes you go, right? You do the loud, like, uh, denial or which is bad mm-hmm. because we're like, okay, you know, like you don't go the Trump. You, that's like the Trump method. Well, of that's like, where I wanted to go with- earth or what's actually worse to me is exactly what you said. No one says anything. Well, that's what I wanted to do with you. I wanted to do a quick uh, little, because we always like to have fun here on the podcast and do a little role play. And I wanted to do a little role play with you. Do you want to be Trump or do you, or do you want me to be Trump? And it's the, uh, after this congressional meeting, the reporter asks Trump. I'm the reporter and you are Trump. All right, let's go. Uh, Mr. Former President uh, and Total Slimeball, um, you heard uh, the testimony given today at the Senate Judiciary Committee or whatever committee it was. What are your thoughts on what was said? Um, I, I've been trying to tell you guys this. I, I started a whole Space Force thing to like fight these guys. I put, I'm putting together an army to fight these guys. I think I, I, I mean, duh, told you this, right? Now, if they were smart, what they would have done is actually gone to Trump and like loose lip Trumpy 
probably would have let us like he would have like let us in you know area 51 and been like this is all fake let me take you to like area 49 waiting for my conspiracy theory yeah you know how he's like mar-a-lago documents like not like oopsie daisies like brought those home you think some of those were the aliens? I think there. I think I don't think all. I think there's like you know. There, I think there's a couple loose leaf papers in there on that. Now, if you were the president who was uh, lost, you know, the reelection, and you let's just say you have the Mar-a-Lago, um, I would say pull up to the Capitol. What would you? <laughs> what were what what items of conspiracies would you? try to take from the white house like what answers what 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 answers to questions that have long been unanswered that you have the definitive answer on would you take um to then impress your friends with number one number one jfk i was just about to say it (laughs) number one was it one two who did it talk to me number one grassy knoll stuff grassy knoll okay we are we are you and me right there Number one, grassy knoll stuff. Okay. Okay. Number two, alien stuff. Has to be. For sure, burgers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Number three, flat earth. Whoa. That flat earth? You want to know my favorite part of the flat earth thing? Is, is when they refer to just the flat earth as a globe. My favorite thing about the flat earth thing is... Because the people that believe in the flat earth is what, 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 why, what's the reason in like, what, are, what's the government hiding with flat earth? Because like, what's the, like, what's the cool thing about flat earth of like, this is why it's flat and this is why the government's hiding. They're just it. anti big globe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I don't, what's your end game? In improving that, what will change? Because if someone came out and said, "All right, guys, you're right," because like the JFK thing, it's like, "All right, like, all right, mafia, like, you know, we've where's got, Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah, like we've got like, there's reasons why for that, you know, aliens. There's there, there's there's reasons why if you know we if we find out about aliens, there's consequences to it. To me, the what's the consequence of knowing that there's that it's round or there's a flat? Or there's no consequence. That oh, it's it's flat Earth. Okay, it's flat. What's the consequence? Now, do you have anything about like uh, moon landing? That would might that might be in there. I actually like that. My, moon landing would be nice. Moon landing. Um, we have the government, of course. What about uh, COVID nineteen? Um, that one. Uh, yeah, that that one would be nice. Um, I don't know if I would hide it though, just because that one just has, to, I, then I would just be hiding Chinese secrets. Now, what do you think about Sasquatch? There we go. Okay. Yeah. I need to know about the Loch Ness monster and I need to know about Yeti. I'm looking up here, just like the top 30 conspiracy theories. We also have here, the moon isn't real. 9-11 would be nice. I might, I might tuck Ooh, that one away. I might tuck that one away. I think 9-11. I might, I, might, I might tuck away like, you know, jet fuel on steel stuff. I think um, 9-11 has entered my metal stand. You know, I might, I might, I might tuck away a couple loose leaf papers on like, you know, why isn't there more footage on the Pentagon? Uh, yeah, I think I... I would have to know that. Right. I think I'd have to know that because 
that might shape how I view a lot of other things moving forward. Because that is my one thing with the 9-11, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist on the 9-11 thing, but there, the one thing that does pique my interest is the Pentagon thing of there's one video from the, you know, the 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 toll that that you that, that the security booth that allows you to come in and out of the pentagon that's the only footage that they have and it's just like four frames of here's the pentagon and then two to three frames later here's the uh plane going into it and and to me it's just a it's a little funny of this is the department of justice's like center there's so many more cameras going on there and we only have the toll booth, the security toll booth out front. Like that's the only one I'm just like, we got no other, we got no other, no other, no other cameras we're on. We have no other good footage of like this guy coming. Cause we got great footage of the, of, of them smashing the towers. We got great footage of that. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. we got none of the pan Pentagon now. The only other one that I'm just going to drop this one right in your lap and you tell me where it kind of falls Loch Ness Monster. That one's real. Real? That one's real, dude. That one's real? I like that one. Yeah. That one's nice to me. Yeah. So um, I find it a little... in. Well, I find it very interesting how I feel like we've been given the most credible information to date that you would think would change the prism through which all humans question existence and it seems that we are being very cavalier about it yes yes and it's kind of like the you know it's really hot outside right now so i can't be even worried about <laughs> what's going on and how we're not alone <laughs> yes. right yes all right let's get into this peacock let's do it let's get into it This week's Peacock and Music is such a great one. I've uh, been cradling this one for a while uh, to pique your interest. You're going to love it. This week's Peacock and Music is Joe Tex. Joe Tex? Do you know who Joe Tex is? T-E-X? T-E-X. Uh, well, let me let me bounce this question back at you. Do I? I don't think you do. Okay. But sometimes there's peacocks where I don't know maybe the well, name, you know, but then I've heard music and, and of 20 years, yeah. and it's like, oh, okay, I did know they who they were. No, you'll know I just didn't know that was them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, August 8th, 1935, died August 13th, 1982. Mm. Uh, Southern Soul. Ooh. Uh, born Joseph Arrington Jr. in Rogers, Texas. Played saxophone in high school and also sang in the choir. Um, but early on, uh, he uh, won a talent show in Houston. Uh, 
And the talent show that he won, he won $300 on a trip to New York City. And when he went to New York... Was he playing saxophone as the talent or... No, he was... He's a singer. Okay. Yeah. And when he gets to New York City, he uh, goes down to Harlem and um, uh, goes to the Apollo Theater. Mm -hmm. And the Apollo Theater, as many should already know was a um uh what would you call it uh a a beacon it it was a beacon um but they, for for black america and it was i would say ground zero but it was for, a showcase they would have showcases in yeah i mean it was one of i would say the top locations that especially like a black uh, aspiring artist would 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 that would be something a box that you would have to check on your way to start. You would go to the Apollo Theater and you would showcase your talents there. And they famously, if you didn't do good, they would throw you know tomatoes and, and the, the crowd would boo you. And then you know they the actually guy would, threw tomatoes. Yeah, they would throw tomatoes and pop whatever they had in their hands and in, in, in uh, on stage. And then like the guy. It wasn't a clown, but it was. I, I wish I knew his name, but it was a guy who would come out and he would yank you off stage with like the long cane. Exactly. So that's real. That's real. But he went there and he was a juvenile, and they would have, and they had, um, they had uh, two different types of showcases: one for adults, one for uh, underage uh, uh, black artists. And he went to the Apollo Theater and he won the showcase four times. I just want you to know that 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 stage prop, it's a shepherd's hook. Yes. And it started in the 1890s, and it was to pull bad performers um, from the stage. And it is what the phrase, give them the hook, is from. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just music. It was com comedians, anything. But as a juvenile, he won at the Apollo Theater four times. And was discovered in those four times by uh, Henry Glover, who offered him a contract to King Records at the time. But he, uh, Joe Tex was underage and his mother said he's got to finish high school first before he can sign uh, any type of record contract. And uh, Henry Glover said, this guy's so good. That's fine. I'll wait a year and a half until he's done. And he waited until he was 19 and finished uh, high school. And he signed him uh, to uh, King Records. Uh, and at King Records had very little success. Really, really none. And But he started developing his stage presence. Especially... He was opening for James Brown, Little Richard, Jackie Wilson. Oh, so big. Were these names already massive? Uh, on the on the juke joint, you know, uh, uh, what should we call okay, it? Okay, so but it wasn't, um, you know, stadiums or anything like that. No, this is packed, this is packed little juke joints. This is, uh, you know, mid to late nineteen fifties. Got know, it. Okay. Yeah. And so he started, you know, developing a stage presence um, um, while opening for these big acts. And he was dancing and doing really cool microphone tricks. And uh, he got so well and was so good at these his stage presence that uh, many people, including Little Richard, say 
his future nemesis, James Brown, stole all of his stage moves and microphone tricks. Mm. All of them. Do you think, um, knowing what you know, what is is that a scorned, a scorned, uh, you know, kind of scorned lover trying to besmirch the the great James Brown, or do you lean more towards that's not the conspiracy theory? You would get those papers out of the Pentagon. We'll get into that. Ooh. So um, after failing to chart. And he was writing, like, at this point, over, like, 30 records. Um, and so he had quite a volume, but just wasn't hitting. None of his stuff was hitting at all. He, um, he, he, he moves off of King Records. And guess where he goes, Jordan? Mm, um, he was in New York, right? Does he go west or does he go south? He goes south. Um... I don't know. He goes to Mondo Burger. <laughs> he goes down to Muscle I was going to say Muscle Shoals, but I thought I thought Muscle, in my defense, I thought Muscle Shoals was a little bit later. And I didn't think it was a, I didn't think it was, um, it wasn't in the, uh, the, uh, the word bank on the test. I didn't think it was even in the word bank. He goes down Damn to Muscle Shoals, and at this point, because Muscle Shoals was, you know, in the, the original Good Burger, Muscle Shoals was f the 50s, you know, with Aretha Franklin and Etta James. But when the Swampers build their own place across the street, and it was called Fame Records at that point, but it was it was it was really Muscle Shoals. He goes there and he hooks up with the Swampers, and that's where he gets his first hit. Uh, Hold what you got. Okay. And he hits it big with that first uh, that first album. Um, and do you, he think, do you think it was because of the people he was working with, or do you think it was just like I th I right think, time, right like he he progressed as well? I think it had to do with the Swampers and, and working with them. Yeah, because they were just gold. Mm. But he uh, he actually didn't want to put out the album, the record, but his producer, you know, convinced him to do it, and luckily. Uh, the producer did convince him to do it because it ended up selling over 20,000 albums. And then uh, after that, he signs to uh, Atlantic Records and his next two albums are huge. He, uh, in those two albums, he has uh, 11 top 40 hits, including uh, The Love You Save Me, 634-5789, Soulville, USA. Uh, hold on to what you got again, like I said before. Um, and his his next album produces so many top 40 hits that to this day, he has more uh, Billboard top 100 hits than James Brown. Really? Yes. That's a... Uh, man, I would... I, I don't know if I'm a victim of this was just too long ago for me to not know. Um, but that to me is a bit surprising knowing how big James Brown is and he's the king. Exactly. So let's get into, um, uh, well, first I'll, I'll, I'll put a little wrap up job here. In 1972, he turns to Islam and you already know where we're going here. Mm. He goes to Islam kind of like it gets away from the public eye, does the, the religious thing, gives up the pork, gives up the pork. 
Um, but he um, he ref- he re- he returns after that after one of his main ministers that he follows uh, dies, and he so he returns back to music and then churns out a couple more hits. Really? Yes. But then after that, well, by the time 1981 comes around, he gets out of the public eye, uh, the public life. He settles down his ranch in in, in uh, Nova Soda, uh, Texas, and you know kind of puts to bed there. But let's get into the rivalry with James Brown. Mm-hmm. Strap him. I'm strapped. It all starts with Joe and James. They were signed to King Records originally back in the 50s. And um, Joe Tex is doing his you know stage presence thing and his microphone, his dance moves. And on the juke joint circuit... Uh, at a gig, James Brown challenges him to a dance battle. Which, if you're thinking about this nowadays without this information that you have provided us, you would say, no contest, this is Muhammad Ali against against um, just a no-name guy off the street. Right. Joe Tex sweeps him off the floor. Right? James is pissed. James is so pissed that uh, Joe writes his song and three or four months later, while they're now off of King Records, James Brown re-records the same song, changes up the melody and the rhythm of it. Of Joe Texas' song. Of Joe Texas' song and hits it big and doesn't tell Joe Tex or ask his permission for it, but it hits big that now... The record label that Joe Tex is on is like, you gotta you gotta throw some kickbacks. So he throws. We got a Biggie Tupac situation, right? So you gotta throw him some some kickback, and and James like, I'll throw him a co-writing, you know, bona fide on there. And Joe Tex is like, fuck you, motherfucker. Like I wrote that song. You didn't ask. You 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 went on your own. We clearly have a battle here. You don't like me, and now we're doing a thing. East Coast, West Coast. So, uh. Joe Tex uh, hires on this backup singer uh, named uh, Bo Ford in 1959 to his uh, his band. And she and uh, Joe Tex become romantically involved, and they get so serious that Joe Tex marries her in 1959. Okay. And uh, the next year, in 1960, uh, James lures... Because he's so mad and so pissed off at Joe Tex, he lures both uh, Ford away and says, yo, come. Because at this point, James is getting bigger than, than Joe was. Yeah. And, and lures away and goes, yo, come and join my band. But he, but that's not really his intent, James Brown's intentions. We all see the writing on the wall His here. intentions are he wants to stick it to him. And by stick it to him, he wants to stick it to her. Mm. And he does. James Brown does stick it to her. And he and he uh, he bangs uh, Bo Ford, and they start getting serious. But within that year, uh, now James is done. He's like, "Yo, I just wanted to hit it and quit it, just to show you." And he writes a letter to Joe Tex and says, "Hey, I'm kind of done with her. You can have her back now." I like that more than anything about how fucked up that is. That he wrote a letter, right? That's the best part. Right. Okay. So uh, Joe Tex, he's now pissed off because it's, you know, it's a, it's a battle. First off, you marry a woman and she's like, hey, I'm going to go 
and backup sing who I was backup singing for you. I'm gonna go backup sing for your right your arch nemesis. That right there is the red flag for Joe Tex where you just say, babe, we're gonna file the papers. You go do what you need to do. Right. So uh once Joe Tex receives the uh letter, he's like, fuck this guy, bro. First of all, I don't even want her back, but fuck this guy. Mm. So he writes, in my opinion, the very first diss track in oh. 1961. And the, the name of the song is called You Can Keep Her. Ladies and gentlemen, we have dug through the annals of music history, and we have here first the first diss track. The very first diss track. It says, You Can Keep Her, all set. You know, it's on and popping. Good poppin'. for you, Tex. It's on and popping. So then the next year after that, in 1962, uh, uh, James Brown and Joe Tex are uh, both on the same bill for a gig in Macon, Georgia. And for people that don't know, that is where James Brown, you know, he lives in, he's from Georgia, but in Macon, Georgia is where he lived. So they're they're doing the same gig in Macon, Georgia, and Joe Tex comes out because he's uh, opening. He comes out first in a tattered uh, cape around his uh, around his neck, and he's squalling and 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 skirmishing all over the stage and yelling, "Somebody come get this!" cape up off of me i someone please come get this cape up off of me because as everyone knows james brown famously does his act that he used to always start out with was he would have he would cut out the cape on and remember he would uh he would kind of faint before he would start his show he would faint with his cape on and then he would have people come up and lift his cape up off him and then that's what that's what would start the show okay so james brown's backstage watching this guy saying Yo, he's got a tattered cape on. He's clearly making fun of me because he doesn't do cape stuff. James Brown, while Joe Tex is on stage, goes, Hey, boys, let's go home and grab the guns. James Brown goes home and his boys grab the guns and they go back to the gig. Tool up. They tool up. Hey, go grab the whistle. They tool up and they go back to the gig. And they start shooting up the place. At this point, Joe Tex has already finished his set, and he already knows that he's pushed some buttons, he's pushed the envelopes, and he's already got out, out of dodge. He's already gotten out of dodge. But James Brown has shot up the place, and not only has he shot the place, he shot seven people. That's too many people. That's a lot of people. Too many. So he went back, shot up a bunch of people, seven to, to be exact. And you don't do that on your own home field. <laughs> right. Um, I I'm gonna say right there. Point for Joe Tex. So he shoots up seven people, and uh, James Brown tells his boys, his crew, says, "Yo, this is bad. Don't want to get into. Uh, don't want to get like arrested or anything. We got to go like pay these people off." So someone shows up. Uh, one of like you know James Brown's people shows up and pays. All seven of the uh, victims that got shot before they get into the ambulance and go to the hospital, $100 each to keep their mouth shut. 
And this is 1962? This is 1962. Okay. So um, after that, uh, Joe Tex, because at this point... Um, uh, How much would you guess that uh, $100 in 1962 is in today's money? Five grand. $1,010.29. There you go. To Pays be shot. Them Pays them off. So at this point, a few years later, James Brown writes the song, the famous song, number one, uh, Soul Brother number one. And Joe Tex is like, fuck this guy. He's not Soul Brother number one. And he goes, if anything, uh, Little Willie Johnson is actually soul number one. He was like the original, original guy that him, James Brown, and Joe Tex were actually on tour with. And Joe Tex is like, yo, you're not soul brother number one. And actually, I challenge you to a sing off and come meet me up and we'll do a, a little challenge of who actually is soul brother number one. And James Brown goes, nah, bro. I'm not showing up to that. You're beneath me, and I am soul brother number one. Mm. Joe Tex goes, "You're a pussy." That's how. That's how. So that's that's how their little beef like ends, and they and they and they go on to always have a beef. Uh, Joe Tex like paints like his tour bus, you know, soul brother number one. A couple years later, but then he erases it once he's going through the south because he doesn't want to. Because James Brown's about that life. James yeah. Brown's about that life. And he gets increasingly crazier because he's on crack and shit. Mm -hmm. But so the feud like ends there. Um, but uh, fast forward to Joe Tex's death. He was never into alcohol or drugs when he was um, doing music and stuff. And uh, but his close friend and producer does say uh, the last four years of his life, he is strung out. Um, and it doesn't say, you know, what he's strung out on, but he's going through addiction problems and Joe Tex, uh, dies and is found at the bottom of his swimming pool. Mm. Um, and that, and that's how he goes out. And now I want, uh, uh president Biden or president <laughs> yeah. Trump. Like if there's something there, if, if maybe the soul brother number one has a body count on him that we don't know about, I want to know. Yeah. I want to know if, if, if JB did that. So uh, that is your Peacock in music this week, Joe Tex. Uh, he's a real one. He's got a litany of, uh, of, of number ones and just amazing songs. Uh, it took me, I, I've already built the playlist on Peacocks and music on Spotify. It took me everything not to just post like 40 songs. I try to keep it under 20. But uh, so you'll have some fun with that this week listening to it. But your peacock and music this week was Joe Tex. Now, do in your musical professional opinion, what do you think about the James Brown stealing the swag of Joe Tex? I have. Do I've, you, do you I've, think that's warranted? Yes, I've, I've heard it before. I've seen tons. I've seen Bootsy Collins. I've seen a lot of people like Little Richard that do like biographies when they talk about it. And it's pretty well documented that it's 100% it's a fact that the whole reason why James went out of his way to do all the things that he did and pull up on him 
it's because Joe Tex was the first person to do all the moves that you see James Brown do, to do all the microphone, like the stand, you know, like the move that uh, James Brown does when he pushes the microphone stand down and grabs it with the heel and, and put and brings it back up. Joe Tex did that way before him. It's well documented, and James Brown absolutely bit his style. Stage uh, stage presence wise. Two things that I think are very important right now. I just look up the net worth at the time of his death. Uh, um, James Brown. Do you want to take a guess? Time of his death, which was 2006. He went through a lot of legal shit, man. Um, I'm going to say under 20. 100 mil. 100 mil. Also, the more shocking news here, five feet, six inches. Look up Joe Texas, if you will. As far as net worth, yes, yeah, so just just you don't have to. Like, oh, go it's too gonna deep, be but... like it. It can't be much at all, right? Um, hmm. Five million. Five. Five. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, and and staying on the music stuff for a second, and I know we were just talking a little bit of uh, East Coast West Coast, but before we get out of here, did you see? The news that came out about uh, two weeks ago that there has been some movement in the Tupac Shakur cold case murder. I did. This is big news. Now, uh, if you didn't see or hear, there was a search warrant of uh, Keith Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keefe D, uh, his house in Las Vegas, who is said to be one of two living eyewitnesses of the shooting. Yes. Now, I haven't seen anything else since that, but I would say that it has to be significant enough that after all this time, a search warrant, which has to have probable cause attached to it, um, that that was executed. Yes, well, they did execute it, and they have reopened it. I also saw uh, a little thing, and I might be wrong on this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I also saw Floyd Mayweather, because he was, that was right when his boxing career was starting, and he was getting going, and he was in the Las Vegas area, and the neighborhood that they executed that warrant in, apparently Floyd uh, Mayweather lived a couple houses down from it, and he did come out and say this last couple weeks that he remembers back in the day when it all went down that uh, he, uh, he, he, rem he remembers that there, that Tupac... The, the person involved did live in his neighborhood and there were rumblings of that that guy may have been involved in it. He did, Mayweather was like, I don't know, but I remember back then that that was a rumor that was going around. So I think this is very big news. Now, I will say in this article that they say... Um and I believe they also did a... connect, like They went to Connecticut or, or somewhere also as well. All I'm saying is it says here in the article, quote, the search of the residence is being viewed as a success. I, the rumors that I also heard were apparently 
the gun or something involved in the murder is stashed in the house. And that was the reason why really? they executed the search warrant because apparently, and this is just rumors, but apparently there is something that is damning enough that involves the murder that it was stashed in the house somewhere. And that was why they went there to go check. Um, I think that this might also be something that we want to hit up Trump about too. Cause like, yeah. remember the Tupac living like on a beach in Brazil was, was hot for a while. I might shoot that one straight to number one, as far as the, uh, you just, know, just my Mar-a-Lago, know. like what's in the files. You think so? Yeah. Cause the fact that like it's this much later and there's no document, you know, cause they always do this stuff after like a documentary comes out. Mm-hmm. I think that it's pretty like telling that the fact that they're going back and doing it, the police don't do this unless they have some shit. Yeah. And you know? it's, it's uh, the, the bigger, more interesting part to me is what had come up recently. Cause it's been cold for so long. What had come up recently that like reinvigorated, you know, cause technically it's a cold case and I, you know, it's on the investigation is ongoing as everyone always says. So it's technically assigned to someone, right? So it's someone on their desk, presumably, you know, in Las Vegas proper is like looking at that dusty file every once in a while and like trying to figure out what they can do. Well, remember the narrative always was too that the police department didn't do a good enough job of following up or like, you know, they, yeah. you know, they, they lost evidence, this, that. And so it was always a bad look for the police department. Yeah. And you would think that if it was a bad look for, you know, the police and stuff, they wouldn't want to be following up on it because it's going to make them look even worse. So I think the fact that they're following up is, is because it's the police department want to be like, hey, we actually weren't assholes in this. Or the other side of that is it's been so long that all the people that were in this building are no longer here and we can just blame everything Good. on them. Good. That's and, a- and, 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 and kudos to us for actually figuring this out i like that actually i've never thought i didn't actually never thought about that but i, I like your oh, thinking on that of you, like you the people that, that were involved in, aren't here now and now yeah we you, care you hear that a lot in in like true crime of like the you know the sheriff at the time was just a racist asshole right and that's why but i i care and i'm the new sheriff and i want to clean this city up yeah so but i think also it's widely regarded as uh i forget his name but you know, he was a, a gang member and he died yeah. like two years after in another shooting and he was murdered. And everyone, I think, has long said, like, that's the Well, he got into the scuffle in the lobby. That's yeah. what they all say is like yeah. Tupac got in the scuffle in the lobby with one of the Crips or the Bloods or whatever. And that's who retaliated. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it's time that uh, we shoot Trump a little DM and see what he can do. See you next week. See ya.